the first session that we just did, in one sense, for some of you, will be very, very familiar because you're familiar with biblical gospel ministry. And yet, to me, that's the thing that matters most. This session, which is all about the church planting and all the kind of stuff that we've done, because I'm close to it, I kind of think, well, yeah, that's just what we're doing on the ground. I guess for you, actually, some of you, this is the most exciting because it's just ideas. And it's great just to share ideas, isn't it? So what I've been asked to do, what I'm going to do, is to tell you a little story of the development of Commission, how we think of ourselves as a church planting network. And it's really up for you to take what you can and what you want to from uh, the session. Uh, we haven't quite worked out how to do this remotely, so I'm going to have to say things like next slide or next and things like that. Um, I haven't thought of that. Uh, Craig's bigger than me, so I'm a little nervous about doing that. But uh, uh, perhaps I might just lead us in prayer as we begin. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Uh, Father, we turn from uh, expanding your word to looking at what you have done uh, in, uh, in London and think about your work here in Adelaide and further afield. Uh, we, Father, know that we are prone to start talking about ourselves and start thinking about ourselves and start promoting ourselves. And we ask, dear Father, please would you help us to recognize your hand and recognize that you have been at work and to genuinely give you glory as we learn from one another about the things that uh, we, we have discovered. So, Father, please help us. Help us to learn what would be helpful. As these guys are, are listening to what you've done in London, please would you give them wisdom, uh, courage, uh, help them to recognize things that might work and to recognize the things that wouldn't. And we ask it for the uh, proclamation of the gospel, for the salvation of many, many people, and uh, above all, for your glory. Amen. Let me introduce you to uh, Commission. Um, that's the slide. So, Commission uh, is named after the Great Commission of our Lord Jesus Christ to make disciples uh, for all nations. Um, it's worth saying that although we, uh, I came as the, the full-time pastor of Dundonald Church in Wimbledon in 1995, uh, there were 35 adults there. It had been going for five years without a full-time pastor with part-time leadership. Uh, they were well-taught Christians, uh, really eager to do some evangelism and grow. And God gave us growth. I'll tell you a bit of a story about it in a minute. Um, we multiplied congregations, but by about 2005, we realized we had to form a network and give ourselves a name. And it was all a bit newer than it is now. Uh, and we came up with this name. So it's named after the, the Great uh, Commission. Uh, next slide. We call it co-mission um, because the co uh, emphasizes that we are cooperating. We are churches, evangelical churches, cooperating gospel ministry, which, of course, is a refreshing change to what's often happening in the denominations, um, but we are working together. We call ourselves, next slide, co-mission um, because our primary aim is mission, uh, initiating gospel churches. So though we're concerned for theological education, we're not primarily a theological uh, college or theological movement. Uh, we are concerned to contend for the faith and to reform the denominations and all of us as staff are involved appropriately in those things. But that's not what we are working together in. The thing we're primarily cooperating in is mission. Next slide. Our um, strap line is a passion for planting for London for Christ. Uh, it, it was a different strap line a few years ago. It was slightly um, 
different. Our strike line was a bit sort of general, something about making disciples for Jesus. And we thought, well, everybody wants to do that. So this is a bit more specific now. Um, so let's look at each of those things in turn. Firstly, a passion. Uh, we are um, a, a movement that shares a passion. Uh, that is to say, we're not um, defined by our structures, which keep changing. We keep evolving them, we keep changing them. We're defined by our common passion, which is basically the gospel. We do have uh, a statement of faith, which is a pretty, pretty uh, uh, conservative evangelical version um, as a statement of faith, which all our staff and elders sign. Um, but essentially, we are united in our passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ, as I explained it a little earlier. Uh, and in that regard, it's worth saying, next slide, that we are an, an organic mini-movement. Uh, there are lots of different kinds of networks. Um, there are um, uh, networks like Acts 29 or New Frontiers, or I think a bit like Geneva Push, um, where across a wide region um, there is an initiative that is promoting growth in different places. And then there are regional networks where churches that already exist uh, volunteer to work together, uh, a fellowship of some kind, like a gospel partnership, or indeed at its best, an Anglican diocese, um, though that's not commonly the case, but uh, in some parts of the world it is, in, in Africa and South America. Uh, so where you've got churches that are working together as a voluntary fellowship. What we are is an organic movement. That is, we're organic because all our churches have been planted out of ourselves. Therefore, we have very strong personal relationships. and We have common history, especially amongst the senior staff. They're not, of course, with the new members. So we're organic. Uh, we say mini because we feel very small. We feel we've only just started. But then I regard that as a strength because nobody at commission thinks we're finished. So um, we, we are small in world terms. We've just got going. Um, but that's why we say mini. We say movement um, uh, because of the usual associations now that you would understand uh, that there is a sense of a common purpose derived by uh, a, a vision for planting in London uh, rather than by uh, structures. So that's our passion, a passion for the gospel as an organic mini movement. It's a passion for planting. Uh, in other words, the particular thing that unites us is a passion for planting uh, new churches, gospel teaching churches. Uh, we, uh, next slide. Um, we aim by God's grace to try and plant 360 congregations in 25 years. Now, uh, this is a slightly crazy thing to say, and we don't say it very much publicly, but it is in our literature. And um, I'm, um, I'm wanting to explain it to you. Uh, what that uh, may basically means is doubling our numbers every five years, you get to 320, and then you add a few to make it 360 vision all around. Um, <laughs> now, in terms of doubling our numbers, we got to 10 congregations um, by 2010, and we look like we're on course to be 20 congregations by God's kindness by 2015. Uh, so if you double that, then we'd need to be 40 congregations by 2020 and then to keep going and you get to 320. Um, I, I actually um, i am trying to develop a plan to, to speed up at the moment. Um, one of the reasons is um, uh, if, if we, get, we look like we're being uh, able to plant 20 by 2015 because we're nearly there. Um, depends on how you count the plants. At the moment we're planting 
um, congregations from congregations in general, so teams or uh, groups starting new congregations. And I think we're at the stage, if we're going to go to the next stage, which is planting 20 within five years, or I'd actually like us to plant, plant about 40 in five years, we're going to need to do more of an Academy of Pioneers, which is basically what Geneva pushes uh, in London. So uh, that's what we're aiming at. Um, we have no idea, really, uh, how to go beyond 40, um, but God is a great God. One of the reasons we have this um, rather romantic and bold figure is to keep us humble, to remind us that we've got an awfully long way to go, but at the same time to keep us looking far ahead and not to kind of give up too quickly. That is, we don't want to die wondering what we might have done if we just tried a little harder. So we're going to have a go. Uh, if you ask me, do you really think you're going to plant 360 congregations? No. I'm praying that that will be the case. Uh, I hope that will be the case, but no, I can't see at the moment how we're going to do it. Uh, but we are going to try. Um, so uh, do I think we're going to plant you know, half that number, uh, 180? Mm, probably not. Uh, but we're going to try. Uh, do I think we'll plant 90? Yeah, well, I think we could. I think. So it's, in one sense, it's just a goal. Do I really feel confident? No. But we have a big God, and uh, so we're going to try. Next slide. It's a, uh, this is for London. Uh, so we are focusing within the M25 on London. Uh, London is the city of, uh, well, in, in London, it's basically 10 million people. Uh, the southeast has got, you know, 20 million people, but 10 million people in London. And uh, the whole world has come to London. It's full of many nations. Uh, people come to London for uh, education and for business, uh, immigration, uh, tourism, the Olympics. Uh, it's worth knowing that in London, 40% of the population of London was born outside the UK. So London is a very multiracial city. The rest of the country is not anywhere near. I mean, some cities are, Bradford or Leicester or whatever, but um, uh, London is very multinational. And so it occurs to us that we can make disciples of all nations very well in London. And if we can reach the nations who are in London, then hopefully uh, they can contact their families or go home to their families and to their nations with the gospel of course, there's work going on everywhere in the world, but you know what I mean. We can reach all nations in London. Um, next slide, please. We're organizing our church plants in clusters. Uh, that is to say, little groups of congregations, um, because um, I've realized that as the numbers of plants grow, I can't personally oversee uh, that number of plants. And um, the, my colleagues who are running church plants are no longer junior planters. Some of them are now becoming senior, some of the seven, eight years into their plants. They're extremely able. They have plenty of energy. Uh, they are chiefs. They are not foot soldiers. You know, they are, they've got energy too. And so uh, fairly early on, early on, I realized that I needed to, as it, you know, the word is empower them, but really let them develop their own passion for their own little region and to oversee churches. In fact, I see my role increasingly now to try and give them church plants because I'm still the one best placed to actually initiate new plants for various reasons we could talk about, but I want to give those plants to them to oversee. And in one sense, that's the only way we can keep growing. If we keep growing our numbers, I've got to let the cluster leaders oversee those clusters. Now, the idea of the cluster is 
that middle-class resource-rich congregations can resource ministries to resource poor uh, communities and uh, housing estates and ethnic communities and so on. Um, this is... Uh, I don't know if anyone else is doing that in London. The reason for that is I observed that. Firstly, the Bible says that we ought to be trying to reach the poor as well as the rich. Um, I noticed that the planting networks in London, the bigger churches, um, when they plant, they tend to plant with, say, groups of 50 to 100. Um, they plant uh, every three or four years. They plant with a second curate who's very experienced. And basically, the church is self-sustaining and independent from day one. So uh, St. Helen's Bishopsgate and Holy Trinity Brompton have done that with some big church plants in London. Is that good? Yes, it's fantastic. problem with it is, though, if that is the only model of church planting, the problem is, one, only the big churches can do it. Some of our churches will wait forever and never find 70 spare people to send off on a church plant. So firstly, only the big churches can do it. Secondly, it's very slow. It's only for three or four years. Thirdly, it's monocultural. If you send as many as 50 to 100 people, they will just do what they did in the church they've come from. So it's basically it's just a small version, and they long to be like the big church. Do I want 20 St. Helens across London? Yes, of course I want 20 St. Helens across London. But will that reach London? No. Because there are whole communities, whole uh, social groupings in London that will never be accessed by an upper-middle-class business community uh, model like St. Helens. So I love St. Helens and want them to do what they're doing, but I think there's more that needs to be done. And so what we're doing is we're remaining networked so that we can share resources uh, between congregations, and in particular between middle-class resource-rich and uh, poorer resource-poor ministries and congregations. Because the other thing I observed was that um, those ministries that are trying to reach unreached communities, let's try trying to reach uh, Muslims in London, you know, or um, trying to reach a, a poor housing estate, if that ministry is isolated and on its own, it can never grow or multiply. It never makes enough money. It never has enough people. It can't grow big enough to ever do anything else. And so you get these wonderful, faithful ministries who have been there for 50 years in a housing estate, you know, and they're still very, very tiny. And the reason is they're not connected up uh, with any other resources where you could actually be training people in that context and then go and do it again and then do it again. So it seems to me that partnerships between middle-class rich and uh, resource-poor congregations is critical if we're going to try and reach all of the city. Does that slow us down? Yes. It means that I'm pouring money into Battersea and to the world's end in Chelsea. So I said I, we are, uh, pouring money into those estates, and that means we haven't got enough money to plant another couple of middle-class congregations. But it's a matter of conviction. Uh, I think we have to do what the Bible says. I also think and believe that young Christians... Young people who read their Bibles in particular, uh, it's interesting, people often say, you know, the younger generations are less moral. They're not le less moral than the previous congregation. They've got a different morality. Yes, they're more liberal sexually, but they're much more concerned with the integrity, and particularly financial integrity. And um, I, I think that if you, you know, I don't think, well, firstly, God will bless a work that has integrity because it's biblical. And secondly, I think that particularly young Christians are longing to see a bit more integrity in the way that we reach cities. Um, so, anyway, that's what we're trying to do. So we're in clusters, and there are uh, six clusters at the moment. Uh, five of them are regional. So one down in Kingston, uh, one in uh, Wimbledon, where I am, uh, one up in Balham, uh, one in Fulham, just north of the river, in the River Thames, um, one in Mayfair, 
uh, which is right in the middle of the sort of business and property district, and then the, the housing estates cluster, if you like, uh, which is into um, a very... Our housing estates, what we call... I'm not sure what you call them, but um, very quite poor and impoverished, difficult, socially dysfunctional uh, areas. Next slide, please. So, in Mayfair, for example, we're trying to reach the urban elites. So, uh, there's some few guys. There's a lawyer and accountant there. <coughs> in fact, the boy frowning in the... the lad frowning in the background is the minister there, Matt Fuller. Um, uh, so, but that, that congregation in Mayfair, for example, absolutely no one lives there. Um, I'll say more about that. It's a network congregation where the um, tube lines intersect. Uh, then, next slide, please. Uh, this has been a church plant into a housing estate. Um, many uh, Afro-Caribbean and uh, uh, other people who um, are really are not being reached by the gospel. It's a wonderful work. Uh, more about that in a minute. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so in terms of the attendant ministries, we have a ministry to Parliament. Um, so I'm involved in a lunchtime uh, ministry to government workers. And in fact, one of the things that's emerged in the last few years is that um, I've had a Bible study that's grown. It was in the House of Lords with some peers, and now it's um, with MPs. So on a Tuesday morning, when the House is sitting, uh, I meet with about um, usually seven or eight out of a dozen MPs who come to study the Bible. Uh, they're Christians, and I'm... Um, resourcing them. It's not the only ministry that's going on in Parliament, but it's a wonderful joy because these are the evangelical Christians who are effective in Parliament. And they are fighting on absolutely fundamental issues like the redefinition of marriage, early intervention for children uh, in adoption, um, the banking system and so on. And most of them are permanent private secretaries, so they're advising government ministers. Uh, so although it's small, it's really, they're really important people actually in our society. And uh, I get to preach in the House of Commons chapel to MPs, peers, and ambassadors once a term now. So there's that kind of uh, reaching the uh, high-level policy shaker, uh, shapers. You can exaggerate that. You know, sounds impressive, not making much progress. We lose most of the time, don't we? Um, but still, I still think it's worth where you can trying to access those who actually make critical decisions, and uh, they do. On the other hand, there's also, next slide, uh, Ministry to Prison, uh, Brixton Prison, some of our guys going to prison, uh, have Bible studies with inmates uh, in Brixton, and also uh, one of the guys, one of the staff is a, a chaplain at Wandsworth. So there's a range of ministries. Next slide, please. Uh, so that's for London. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, for Christ. Finally, we say for Christ because Christ is the motive, uh, he is the pattern, um, he is the message, and he is the reward. So, um, he is what we are about, and uh, commission uh, is Christocentric. Uh, next slide, please. We've identified seven prayerful ministries. Um, <laughs> we put the word prayerful in, and not only because they are all prayerful, uh, but when you put in prayer as a separate ministry, we think, well, actually, all the ministries are prayerful, so how can you not have... And also because Mark never made the mistake, nine marks, and not one of them is prayer, which is a big mistake. So um, <laughs> we have seven prayerful ministries and I've managed to arrange them as witness uh, which I think is nearly in the order we would do them in but just in terms of what we see the Bible telling us to do in our churches we share this common conviction uh, worshipping uh, that the gospel calls us to worship the living God we worship Christ secondly instructing uh, that is to uh, teach one another the Bible uh, training uh, to train one another in, in gospel ministry that grows churches uh, networking that is to work together in our church planting uh, evangelism, uh, one might put that earlier if one wanted, but obviously evangelism, 
that is to reach out to our local communities uh, with the gospel. Uh, serving, uh, that is to serve our local communities. Um, we've been through the, the agony, agonizing over what kind of social action should we appropriately be involved in. And um, we are clear that the Bible requires us to love our neighbor, that our Bible teaching staff shouldn't be distracted from word ministry, but that we do want to encourage our congregations to do what they want to do, which is to be involved in the local community and be involved, and our congregations are involved, and all sorts of wonderful ministries have emerged uh, from that encouragement, um, which I could talk about in a minute, and then sharing, that is sharing uh, with gospel ministry around the world, and so a commitment to partnership with um, other gospel ministries around the world. Um, next slide, please. Um, in terms of wider ministries, there are a couple of examples. One there is the options of the Pregnancy Resource Centre. We have ministries, uh, uh, people who are involved in ministry to the poor. We've had a number of people uh, through debt relief. Uh, in Britain is a terrible problem. Uh, a couple have just been baptised uh, just a few weeks ago, which is a great joy to us. Um, uh, and other kinds of things. But then also things like the conventions. That's the London Men's Convention, which I chair which is at the Albert Hall when we can, not every year, but uh, you can see there uh, the Royal Albert Hall. Next slide, please. Fundamental to uh, all that we are doing is training, um, training the congregations. Um, we understand Ephesians 4.11, that church, if you likened church to a um, uh, football club, that is the diagram uh, uh, that we put in the corridor of our church, Dundonald United, and you'll see that in the, on, the, on the pitch because uh, for us football is our main game, um, all God's people play the game. I'm going to come back to that because I want to explore that more because understanding that is fundamental, it seems to me, to church growth. So we think of ourselves as training churches. We train our congregations. Next slide, please. But also training apprentices and ministry trainees, the three very um, doubtful-looking um, lads there, part of our apprenticeship scheme. Uh, there is, in fact, actually a, a film now on, online uh, we could even watch it if you want it, six minutes. Um, tracing the development of the apprenticeship training scheme. You might actually think about that, Scott, just log that. Um, we started with three, um, and then after 15 years now, we've got 30 in our apprenticeship scheme. Some other churches contribute a few, so probably 40 there on a, on a Wednesday morning. Uh, but uh, you need to understand that training from within has been critical and fundamental to the multiplication of our churches. So nearly all our congregations are pastored by people who were our apprentices, who had spent an apprenticeship with us, went to Bible college, come back. So the two we're planting uh, in a few weeks' time in November um, in Walton, a guy who's been um, an apprentice, gone off to Bible college, coming back, uh, who was a youth worker, so apprentice, youth worker, college, back. Uh, Putney also is our youth worker. Um, all our church, so many of our churches are staffed by our own. And the reason for that is, A, they love it and they want to come back. B, they get what we're doing. They absolutely understand it. We trust them. They trust us. And, of course, the big key gain of that is I'm not worried what all the senior pastors of the churches are doing. Um, I know them. They know me. Uh, we love each other. We fight, but we love each other. Um, and I trust their instincts because I know them. That's the strength of a relational network. Um, and quite frankly, people from outside have always been suspicious, even within uh, the evangelical network. They've always got their worries why we don't do things conventionally. And they don't want to come, because so often we're planting with nothing. <laughs> you know, 
Um, how can you get staff? Well, the congregation meets in a school hall. There's no church building, and um, we've only got funding for three years. So, you know, for a lot of people, they're thinking it's a bit sort of scary, but if you've been in it, you know you'll be loved and looked after. And, hey, ministry's scary sometimes. So that's where we are. Uh, next slide, please, which I think says a story of grace. So now I'm just going to briefly um, uh, recall the stages of development so that you can follow it. We keep calling it a story of grace because we want to keep articulating this as the work of God because I am worried that at any point, because we keep taking glory to ourselves, God is going to say, enough, I've had enough of you taking glory to yourselves, close you down. So we want to keep telling you and reminding ourselves and you this is a story of God's grace. It begins, next slide, 1990 with the planting of the church called Dundonald Church in Dundonald School on Dundonald Lane, uh, Dundonald Road in South London. Um, it, that, that is not, not the school. There were 35 adults there. We were, so that little section there, that's what we were. In fact, when I first arrived, I remember the school forgot to tell us they were redecorating in the third week I was there. So we went off to somebody's garden and met in somebody's garden. So we were small. Um, got totally involved in the school. I ran a rugby club there. Um, we we um, spent many evenings with school parents. We got involved. Um, most Saturdays, we'd be up till 2 o'clock in the morning um, out at dinner with people, um, you know, just getting to, just mixing with, with the parents of, of school. That's, what pe- that's how people socialise in Wimbledon. When you socialise in Wimbledon, you take a bottle of champagne and a bottle of wine uh, to, to a meal. And, um, but, you know, it's the rules of the rugby club. If you're not there, you're not part of the group. If you're there, you're part of the group. You don't have to behave like the group, but you do have to be there. Uh, it's one of those key things. And uh, uh, Ben, you were there at the school, weren't you? So um, we got thoroughly involved in the life of the school. And um, it was a fruitful time. I suppose it would be worth saying the church grew at about 40 adults a year. Um, of those 40 adults, I would think, to try and be honest about it all, I would think 10, 10 were from a non-Christian background who became Christians. I think 10 would be... Uh, Christians who elapsed and scattered around uh, the area and start, came to church and got warmed up again. I'm not sure whether they were or weren't Christians. I would think 10 were Christians who moved into the area because they heard about our church or knew us and wanted to be part of it. And in t- 10 were sent to South Africans, at least after five years. Um, before that, uh, I'm not quite sure, but something like that, those sort of proportions. Do they sound honest to you, Ben? Something like that. Um, Dundonald multiplied into about four congregations. So we we had a morning congregation in the school. Uh, Pretty quickly we started an evening congregation in the parish church, which was called St Andrews. And then later we planted a congregation that was firstly in a wine bar, and then they put in pool tables, so we had to move it to a hall and then to a sports centre. And then we planted a South African, uh, and actually an Afrikaans-speaking church, that went into a local free church. So there were four congregations scattered around Wimbledon. But then about five years ago, we bought a factory. Uh, that's the fact building you can see there, which was a printing factory. We'd been hiring some offices because we didn't have any offices. So my office was my garden shed. Uh, but then we um, were hiring some offices in this factory. And then I said to the general manager, because there was a big space in it, I said, actually, if you ever sold this, we, you know, I know it seems strange, we'd be interested in buying it. Well, 18 months later, he came back and said, we want to sell. Christian managing director sold us a decent price. So that is the main hall. 
it, it seats about 350. And then there's a warehouse area where we've got about 12 different sized rooms and, and the offices. And there's also some children's ministry there. Just to emphasize, Dundonald is absolutely built not only on, I hope, decent quality Bible teaching and certainly very high-quality community life, certainly in the early days, uh, you will find, incidentally, community life is not something different from Bible teaching. What you'll find is the Bible creates community life. Uh, so if you just faithfully teach the Bible, you will find you have the best community life, and people will come and say, this is the friendliest church, this is the, the most loving church I've ever been part of. How does that happen? You teach the Bible, because the Spirit changes people's lives and creates community in a congregation. That's our experience at Donald. Um, but also on the quality of the children's ministry. So we have 150 children under 11, and uh, there's just pregnancy going on all the time. I don't, I don't know what, <laughs> what is happening. And um, I'm wanting to invest in that just more and more and more. So I'm hoping now to re- redevelop the factory uh, to create more space for more children's work. That's Donald Church. Next slide. Um, it was five years before we started anything on a different location, apart from the evening congregation in the local parish church. Slightly encouragement to you in terms of it took time to get going in the planting. It wasn't immediate. So in the year 2000, um, I started a lunchtime ministry in Westminster um, with the encouragement from St. Helens, who had experience in lunchtime ministries. Uh, So that's a meeting in Westminster uh, Chapel. Uh, Sorry, Westminster Central Hall. Next slide, please. <laughs> in 2001, we planted a church in Christchurch, Mayfair. St. Helens Bishopsgate uh, very generously allowed me to recruit up to 90 people from their evening congregation, uh, and we launched in uh, a church, an Anglican church, in uh, West London in Mayfair. That's not how it looked then. Um, you can't really see it any, anyway. Um, it had pews. In fact, uh, it had a tabernacle in it because there was a congregation of Ethiopian Orthodox who were using it. We turned up on the first day, not knowing who was coming to the launch, and uh, when I arrived at 5 o'clock for the 7 o'clock lunch, whatever it it was, I found the musicians all on the pavement uh, because the Orthodox uh, congregation all arrived dressed dressed in white and were barring the doors. We were not to be allowed in. So I went in to try and negotiate with their leaders, but they were not having it because they felt we were going to desecrate their tabernacle space. So... We prayed on the pavement, fled in, um, in all directions to look for somewhere else to launch. Um, this is not the culture, if you like, of St. Helens, I can tell you. This is, this is chaos. And by God's kindness, I walked into the Four Seasons Hotel, found there was a reciprocal fire policy, so we launched in their ballroom. Uh, we were then homeless for six months. We went to the Liberal Church down the road. Then they got terrified that we were going to try and take over. So we went to a derelict building for another six months, and finally we got back in this building, and then eventually we were able to renovate it. That's Christchurch Mayfair. And that church uh, is absolutely key uh, because it's the church, which I mentioned, nobody lives there because nobody can afford to go there. But um, young professionals who work in central London, commuting on their way home, stop off, um, so if on the, on the Piccadilly, Jubilee, or um, Victoria Line, um, you can stop off on your way home, come and have some food, stay for Bible studies, and then carry on your tube uh, home. So lots and lots of our leadership comes from there, and our Imperial University Students Ministry, uh, we launched from there, uh, Impact, uh, which uh, launched in the lunchtime there. So I was there for seven years. Matt Fuller was my apprentice uh, who helped us get going. He went off to Bible College, 
uh, visited a bit, and then came back as the curate. And then about um, uh, four years ago now, uh, I came to the conclusion that I needed to leave and let him take over. Because I, with all the growing network, I thought, uh, I'm distracted. Uh, he's going to do this better th- than I can. He can take it further. And I realized I was getting in the way. So I, I got out of the way and entrusted it to him. I still wonder, you know, was that a bonkers decision to make, uh, to give this key church with all its leadership uh, potential uh, to my colleague? I still think it was the right decision. I don't know anybody else who would make that decision, but that reflects the level of trust I've got in Matt. Uh, it may mean that um, um, my own hopes for commission never quite realised because I don't have so much control over that church, but I do feel that that church... Uh, is brilliantly served by Matt Fuller, and I completely trust him in the direction that he wants to take that church. After a while, uh, we launched a morning congregation there, and I recruited Rupert Standring, who was one of the Cornhill Trust teachers. He had been in my youth youth group many years ago, and I'd been badgering him for years and years and years. The only reason I say that is recruitment isn't an immediate thing. So um, I've got my feelers out at the moment with leaders all over the world, you know, and I just drop in, oh, if you're ever interested, you know. Um, so James de Costa Bardi was one of my curates at Christchurch Mayfair. And every time I speak to Costa, I will say to him, he's in New Zealand doing a fantastic work in uh, Christchurch, if you ever come back, just let me know, we'd love to have you. Recruitment doesn't happen, oh, I need someone, let's get him next week. You just need to stay in touch with quality people over the years. Uh, moving on, next slide. In 2002, um, we sent about 25 people in the evening to Christchurch Ballam. Uh, we faced terrible criticism from the local Anglican churches. Um, Richard Perkins, who had been our, my apprentice, came back from college to run that. And that is now an evening congregation of about 70 uh, young adults, or perhaps 80 young adults, and a morning congregation of about 50. It's frustrating to him that the, the, morning, the family can't, congregation can't take off. It's because the building, I think, is an adult education centre, and there are lovely Anglican churches all around. And um, he faces a lot of opposition, but is an outstanding minister. Uh, next uh, slide, please. In 2003, uh, we sent about 50 people who were coming. Um, some of them were coming. Yeah, they were coming from uh, New Malden, Kingston. We tried to launch in New Malden in a school in a parish next door to the Anglican Church where I got sent into ministry. I wrote. I asked the bishops. They said it was fine. Uh, we were planning to send 40 into this little primary school. I wrote to the, the vicar of the church where 800 people were going, and he went absolutely berserk. And I uh, was so angry, and everybody was prejudiced against us. Um, and from that moment on, everything started to go horribly wrong with the diocese. Uh, I apologized immediately and said we'd look elsewhere. Everywhere we went, every Anglican said, you're not welcome here. So in the end, we planted a free church um, with one of my other colleagues, who was a, who's a Baptist. And uh, that was called Fairfield, now Cornerstone. That's Pete Woodcock, who used to work in Tasmania. Uh, who runs the congregations, the three congregations in Cornerstone, is absolutely thriving, especially with Kingston students. Uh, and there's a Thursday night church as well for, for, for commuters and students. Um, and Pete Woodcock is a brilliant evangelist. Right, next slide, please. Uh, in 2007, uh, it must be, I think we launched um, a congregation in St. John's, uh, Chelsea. <clears throat> um, interesting how... Quite often, good things happen from just being uh, rare moments of godliness. Um, at Christchurch Mayfair, we, just because we thought it would be good training and helpful to other churches, sent little teams 
of our young workers to go and help a few other evangelical churches in London, three in particular. One of them, St. Andrews, another St. James Clark and Well, and the other was um, St. Dana's in, in uh, And one of those was St. Andrews Chelsea. And the um, minister was so pleased that we had just done it just to be kind uh, that later on he offered for us to plant in St. John's. And so we sent uh, a small team of people. This is a difficult housing estate. That's the one I, you saw a picture of earlier. Uh, there was one couple moved on to the estate, and in fact then another couple moved on to the estate. We didn't want to send a big team, because in our view, if you send 50 white middle-class people with a social conscience onto a housing estate, in three years' time you'll have 70 white English, white middle-class people with a social conscience, and you'll have no local people. So we needed to send a very small team in. They're utterly engaged with their community, and they've slowly grown. There are about 40 there now, uh, mainly Afro-Caribbean and uh, Andy Mason, who's the minister, is an outstandingly godly man. And um, he would say their patterns of ministry are very different to the middle-class congregations, uh, very much more in, uh, relational, relationally involved, very much more relaxed and less programmatic, um, all about relationships sharing people's lives. Uh, and what then happened later on, because in the parish church they were so thrilled by what was happening at St. John's Chelsea, later on when a vacancy came up, uh, at that church, my colleague uh, Paul Dawson, uh, long story, but he got the job at the parish church, so now he's at St Andrew's Church as well, and in fact they have now um, voted to join Commission, so they are part of Commission as well. Forgot to put them into the, the list. So that's St Andrew's Chelsea and St John's Chelsea. Next slide, please. Uh, St Peter's Fulham in 2008. Uh, Ruth Standring from Christchurch Mayfair uh, took um, some of the, the Mayfair congregation who were living in Fulham. We'd actually put him in Fulham in case uh, it didn't work at Mayfair. And um, <clears throat> he planted firstly in Anglican Church. They got upset about the books and the cupboards. Um, long story. So he then went into a free church, uh, met there. They were very happy to have them. And then an evangelical bishop, shock horror, was appointed uh, to Kensington in London who um, offered a, a traditional church building, much like that one out there, and Ruth Standring went into this uh, church, which had a history, a rather kind of Anglo-Catholic version. So that's, uh, he's, he's been wearing robes for some while there, but preaching the gospel. And now he's moved the, um, the, the congregation in the free church into the parish church, and they're absolutely booming. And they've launched an evening congregation. They've got students coming along, and it's very, very exciting. I couldn't go as slowly as he can. He is an absolutely reformed gospel man, but I couldn't have, just, just temperamentally, I couldn't have gone with the robes and all that. Not, I used to wear robes uh, in the parish church, but I just can't do it anymore. Uh, he does, uh, all power to him. Next slide. 2009, the Kingston Church planted um, its own church, into, uh, Christ Church Kingston, at first into a sports centre, now into a school. They've struggled to grow. There's still only um, about 30 adults. Um, but Andrew Nichols there, one of my early apprentices, is the minister there. Uh, they're now in a school. 2000, next slide, 2010, we sent another 25 from our evening congregation to Clapham and launched Clapham Central Church. That's a young uh, professional workers' congregation they're probably about 40. They went up to 50, back down to 40. Uh, Phil Alcock is, is probably the best Bible teacher in the whole of Commission, and he, he is there, frustrated that it's not growing faster, but they've only been going two years, uh, three years or something. Um, in London, there's tremendous churn. 
so Christchurch Mayfair loses a third of its congregation every year. So they have to grow by a third just to stay still. Clapham were probably not quite like that, but nearly. So they're having to, to, keep, to keep going. Next slide, please. Um, was Christchurch Earlsfield in there somewhere? Yes. Right, sorry, in passing, I forgot to write it on here. Uh, Christchurch Earlsfield was another group of about 25 into Earlsfield, which is just uh, not far from us, in between us and Ballum. Again, young adults in the evening, and they're now just launching themselves, relaunching themselves as a family congregation in the afternoon. They're about 60 now. So um, in good heart, there were some problems, actually. Halfway through, we had to move staff around, uh, and we swapped two staff over, and uh, much happier there at uh, Christchurch Earlsfield. Uh, next slide, please. The bridge. Uh, in 2010, uh, uh, Jason uh, Roach, uh, an outstanding um, minister, one of our black colleagues, um, has moved on to a housing estate in Battersea. Uh, he's hooked up with the London City Mission, which is a pattern we want to explore more. And um, so he's been doing, uh, started with nothing, and he's been doing uh, running mums and toddlers things during the day. Uh, he's launched, very importantly, uh, something called RISE, which is an academy for young black boys because, as you saw, if you saw the riots in London uh, 18 months ago, everyone's aware there's tremendous vacuum um, amongst the, in the black communities. The men are not still in the families. Um, there's a tremendous loss of responsibility. So um, he's, he's launched that, and the schools are taking that up. And uh, they've got a congregation of about 20 on a Sunday, um, and uh, we love them to bits. Uh, next slide, the Victoria Ministry in 2010. One of my Korean, we have a Korean congregation. Sorry, I forgot to mention, we invited in a Korean congregation. And um, to their great excitement, uh, not just renting, uh, we're actually sharing the team. So my Korean colleague, I've um, been through a couple actually, one of them, Joseph, suddenly said to me, sorry, the last six months I've been doing some ministry in Victoria with the homeless. And um, actually it's getting cold. Could we have some sleeping bags? So um, he runs that, and they have about 50 people come for food, and then uh, most of the people then come back for uh, Bible ministry in a local church building in Victoria. Next slide, please. 2012, this year, God willing, on November the 4th, we're launching um, congregation in Putney. Uh, Putney is about... Um, sorry, I've missed one out. Um, we, sorry, we planted in Worcester Park, uh, about 18 months ago, 35 people from our morning congregation went across to Worcester Park locally, and that's now doubled in size, and they're very, very happy and absolutely thriving. Uh, this year, in 2012, in November the 4th, Putney. What's interesting about that is we moved our youth worker there to Putney intentionally. Um, somebody does have a flat over there. He's not there much because he's, he's a banker working in New York. And we didn't really have anybody there, but by trailing it for long enough... Um, that is advertising our desire to try and launch in Putney. Uh, people, one or two people have moved there. They've found friends there. He started a Bible study a year ago. Um, that's now about 15 on a Tuesday. He started a Christianity Explore course. He's got half a dozen for that. And now advertising, he's got uh, a list of another 15 people who want to go and be part of the plant. So um, we think that he'll be launching with about 25 people. He hasn't yet been to college. He's just an apprentice. Uh, but he, uh, he's our youth worker as well. Sorry, he's now a youth worker, and he will go to Bible College um, uh, at the end of next year. So I'm hoping that he can grow the congregation a little more because you want new people with new money to employ a leader. So we'll appoint an expensive leader from Bible College next 
September. Walton-on-Thames is a little bit out in the suburbs. Um, what's happened is we've planted churches from the city centre uh, all the way out because in London what happens is people move out. So when you're single and uh, still um, buzzing around either nightclubs or see, you know, seeing university friends and stuff, city centre, and then you get married and you might live in uh, Balham, um, and then you might have your first and second kid. You probably can't afford to stay there. So you move out uh, Earlsfield or Clapham uh, or even Wimbledon. If you can't afford to stay, you want more space because your kid's growing up because uh, you, you, you just can't afford the space. It's so expensive. You might move to Worcester Park or Kingston, and then after Kingston, uh, you might head out to Walton where you can get more space. Uh, still within the M25. And it's partly, I want, M I want Walton to try and collect everybody. So as they all kind of head out there, so um, I've got a very faithful colleague, that's Simon Martin, if you knew Ben. Um, you know, his instructions are send money back up the chain because we need to plant out west the same kind of thing. We need these little snake lines um, going out. So there are two or three things going on there. One is you want to plant in intersections of people so people can travel there. That's tube intersections. But secondly, you want to think about social movement so that people can stay part of your movement when they have to move. Um, you know, it's just unfair to expect them to stay um, in, in the space issues. Now, that may not be your problem. It is ours. So that's Walton on Thames. And then next year, next year, God willing, we've got Sutton is lining up. So we've launched a home group uh, in Sutton. Um, and we have a leader, uh, Mark, Mark Fossey, is uh, hopefully going to run Sutton Ealing. Uh, not quite sure. Next slide. The future. Urban missional thinking. We need to think more about how to reach cities. Planting Academy. We want to launch uh, Pioneers, a bit like Geneva, so we're interested in what you're doing. Um, pray for our unity, our funding, and our strength. Anglican support, question mark. Um, I think you just crossed that out. Um, 